Investable Universe is about thematic topics in real assets investing. This is what we mean by the global market of things, real estate, infrastructure, land, energy, and other commodities that have historically been viewed as boring old income investments. But take a look at the shifts underway in these asset classes, from industry disruptors to new investors to emerging markets to geopolitics, and you'll find these assets are very interesting. We'll talk about private equity, venture capital, corporate VC, sovereign wealth funds, listed markets, crazy startups, some old guard investment firms, some maverick entrepreneurs, and some paradigm-shifting technologies. One thing is certain, no corner of the global market of things will be left untouched by the changes happening right now, and that's what we talk about on this podcast. This week, we're talking about the investable universe of geospatial technologies. That's earth mapping and the rising venture capital landscape that is emerging around these technologies. They've long been in use as military and intelligence applications, but increasingly, especially as we move into Industry 4.0, they're being deployed commercially and likely to have transformational impacts on a number of sectors, including agriculture, defense, transportation, healthcare, and even real estate. A lot of the innovation around geospatial is, believe it or not, site-specific. St. Louis has been called by at least one high-ranking member of the U.S. GeoInt establishment, the geospatial capital of the world. St. Louis has long been home to the U.S. Geospatial Intelligence Agency's Western Outpost. That agency has actually invested $1.75 billion in a new and improved agency HQ in St. Louis. And the industry has already had, according to research from Techonomy Partners, a $5 billion economic impact on that city. And that's prior to major VC funds taking stakes in companies. This was news to us, so we wanted to find out more. And that's why we've gone to an industry expert, the industry expert, Andy Deering, president of Spatial STL Advisors, a strategic consulting firm specializing in geospatial technologies and project lead of the GeoFutures Initiative, an industry roadmap for the broader St. Louis geospatial startup scene. Andy, thank you for joining Investable Universe this week. Thank you for having me. This is awesome to be here. That's great. Before we begin, I also want to mention that the story on Investable Universe featuring your insights on geospatial technology received our first ever mayoral retweet. That's a nice. first for us. Yeah. <laughs> so peace out, St. Louis. We were really happy about that. That was that really made our day. So so just to, to sort of walk our listeners in here, geospatial technologies, generally speaking, when we're talking about earth mapping, are we talking about software? Are we talking about hardware? Is this specific tech infrastructure or or what is it? Yes. D, all of the above. Okay. Uh, so the geospatial market's kind of interesting. Um, I, you know, the way that I always have to say this is, you know, explaining it to my, you know, mother who's in her 70s um, mm-hmm. is, you know, hey, it's like Google Maps, right? But if you think about all the things that go into um, this, I guess the sector, right, is like, oh, in Google Maps, you're able to see a satellite image of your home. Well, how is that happening, right? There's, there's lots of things that go into that. Um, you also are able to see traffic to and from your destination. Well, how is that happening, right? That's taking locational information from your cell phone, uh, feeding it into the cloud, providing some sort of analysis around it and saying, hey, here's the best route or hey, there's traffic ahead. Um, And so all of that together, I think Google Maps is a great example Mm -hmm. that everybody can relate to. There's a lot of things that are going on from hardware to satellite imagery, to software that crunches all that data, and then the analytical capabilities are getting some of those responses back. Is So I would say it's all the above, and it sits horizontally in a bunch of different vertical industries as a key element uh, of, you know, whether it's a strategy or the mission or the execution of what they're doing, um, location information is pretty important. So can you put a date on when these technologies became commercialized? Was it like, boom, Google Maps? Or was there some, was this a sort of a, a gradual unfolding into commercialized applications? 
Well, it, so it's, it's, that's a great question. I think Google Maps was very transformational, right? Going from your traditional Rand McNally maps that you had in your cars growing up to then all of a sudden it, you know, you had MapQuest and, you, could, you know, when the internet came along, you could actually, you know, AAA had trip ticks. There's other things that were there. Mm-hmm. But I think when all of a sudden everybody could experience what their, you know, the world around them through a simple application interface and then be able to see it. I think that's what really spurred it. And so there's like the keyhole product. There's some investments that Google had made in on that um, that helped spur what Google Maps and all of the locational work they do today. Mm-hmm. That did transform it into being a more adoptable because it was, it's been done for the past 50 or 60 or a hundred or thousands of years, right? That people yeah. have used location information but really being able to leverage it, collect it, leverage it, and make something more out of it or make more informed decisions. I would say that's, you know, outside of city planners or other people that have tr- used it in their traditional day-to-day job, mm-hmm. commercialization, like you said, has is, is really been booming lately. And I will say Google Maps being one, mm-hmm. and the iPhone from a mobile accessibility consumer standpoint uh-huh. was transformational for the industry. And, and I had to, you know, witness that one being a part of the industry at that point in time. Uh-huh. And so Apple, they had to, dev- I mean, presumably they had to develop their own application for that. I mean, that wasn't anything, did they, they couldn't borrow from Google for that, right? C- correct. From a, I mean, there was obviously GPS that were all, all on the phones. And even before like a typical smartphone, there was some element of GPS. But start thinking about the GPS information coming in mm-hmm. and then the transmission back out of your GPS point in, in, in relation to where you are, mm-hmm. other things that are around you. If you think about mobile mapping as it was with the way surveyors and others, and you'll still see surveyors out there with their big heavy GPS units or whatever, but that's changed. That used to be the norm. Uh-huh. And now people are able to do more with these devices that are in their hands. And they're both consumers and producers of geospatial information every single day, whether you tweet something with a geospatial location on it, or whether you're navigating to your favorite restaurant, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, pretty, uh, it's pretty compelling where the industry has come, especially in the past 20 years. So you today are president of Spatial STL Advisors, um, as we mentioned uh, in the intro, a uh, strategic consulting firm. And uh, you, you mentioned also being in the in the industry uh, upon the advent of mobile geomapping technologies. Can you tell us how, how'd you get in this game back in the day? So, yeah, <laughs> b- back in the day. Uh, the, the, the way that I got into this industry was very yeah. uh, non-traditional. I went through actually the aerospace industry. Really? Um, I, I, I'm a pilot by trade. Uh-huh. Uh, gra- graduated, um, and it was right around the 9-11 time frame wow. where the a- aviation industry had completely uh, gone under. But there was an interesting, there, there was enough, there was a startup in St. Louis, and I will tell you at that time, there wasn't a lot of startups in St. Louis. Uh-huh. But we had a startup here, and they were working on one part of the business was um, aviation planning to where like a, a it was almost the AAA triptychs of aviation where you can get like bits and maps and you could do that. And the other part of the work they were doing was actually working directly with NGA on uh-huh. transforming their manual paper chart process into a digital process, knowing where smart you know, tablets and other things that were in the cockpits were going on. Well, that was all using geospatial information. It was all transforming that into usable information to help support the, the military pilots. And mm-hmm. so I worked heavily, you know, we, we, it was a great, great company. We exited. Um, but it really, that was, you know, one of the interesting first companies in St. Louis that was doing some, doing some geospatial work in a couple in both the commercial sector uh-huh. um, and also helping support the Department of Defense. And the market has just continued to blossom and grow since then. So that was my personal history is, I, rather than driving, uh, you know, an airplane, I was driving my keyboard, my mouse, and, and mm-hmm. making maps uh, for for the government. 
Wow, that's a quite a, a redirect <laughs> to put yes, it in, in, in a aviation type term. So, so the technology and the and the investment landscape has gotten a boost from the president uh, the presence of the of the geointelligence agency headquarters. But is there something specific about St. Louis that makes it particularly well suited to geospatial technology and not Denver or Kansas City or you know some or you know Virginia for the Arlington, Virginia for that matter? Why why St. Louis and not those other destinations? So I, the cool part is, you know, NGA or the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency mm-hmm. and its predecessor organizations through the years have, have called St. Louis home. And so they've been yeah. doing that here for, for many years. One thing that I would say is transformational, and we consider NGA a foundational element of our ecosystem that we're, we're building and growing here, mm-hmm. is they made the decision when they selected NG, the new site in North St. Louis was to be more open with what they were what they were doing, the public-private partnerships, establishing partnerships with the Missouri Technology Corporation, mm-hmm. um, seeking out you know small businesses and, and entrepreneurs and others to really be able to solve some of their complex problems. Mm-hmm. The way that it used to be was they were in a fortress down by the brewery, and nobody really could interact in a public way with them. And this was mm-hmm. part of the way that they've established or setting up their, their campus is to be more open. Mm-hmm. Leading up to that, they've established more opportunities for the public sector to work with them. So then that starts spurring in, you know, that decision actually was a catalyst for saying, well, who all is working in geospatial around here? Mm-hmm. And come to find out, you know, you have digital agriculture, which has been a booming sector here for many years, and, and Monsanto, now Bayer, is called at home, they're processing more geospatial information than almost NGA is. And they're, really? they're, but they're making, you know, pivoting a little bit to help solve some some challenges with regards to the ag tech industry. Uh-huh. But, you know, all the other segments, we have, have folks around here that are starting from technology companies to services companies to even some level of manufacturing that's being done. We uh-huh. have a lot of organizations here. And so the cool part has been the past three or four years has been the conversations linking everything together saying, well, wait, we know geospatial is not a, a, a vertical, but everybody's kind of doing it. What are the, what's the themes? What do we need from from investment and workforce and talent and other things that are going on here. Mm-hmm. And that conversation is really was the catalyst for this larger ecosystem discussion that we're having here. Mm-hmm. But I will say the, the biggest part is what you said at the very beginning, yeah. having a mayoral tweet about this, That's the alignment it. Rock and of roll. the city and the region. I mean, <laughs> uh-huh. more people are championing this thing. We have, you know, yeah. Everybody's excited. And while they might not know exactly what geospatial is, they're very excited because they see the potential. They see the transformation not only here in the region, but the connectivity to to the world. Mm -hmm. And really are doubling down on the bets that are being made here. So I understand under GeoFutures, under the GeoFutures initiative, a number of industries have been identified as likely use cases. You mentioned, I mean, the, the applications are very broad and wide-reaching. Transportation logistics, defense, precision farming, or ag tech, and healthcare. Now, is there one in particular that is the most commercially promising or the likeliest to take off very soon? One that's like right on the on the precipice, ready to go? I'll caveat the one thing with regards to the GeoFutures report and what we did by identifying those four sectors. We see a lot of potential in St. Louis around them because we have core centers of excellence around those four sectors. Okay. Um, and so, and, and so we felt like geospatial really can grow and flourish here. Mm-hmm. But you know, look out the next five or ten years. We're paying attention to those things as well. And I think the interesting ones here that mm-hmm. are, I you know, if I had a crystal ball and I was saying, yeah. hey, where where can the biggest impact be? I think untapped markets with the financial sector and being able to really leverage 
what's going on from uh-huh. not only like nat- natural disasters and crises and gl- global supply of things, because uh-huh. you should be able to find that information out, but also what what are people doing? Where are they interacting? How how uh-huh. you know is it are stores busy or not? And you know it goes beyond uh-huh. just counting you know cars and parking lots, but also looking at some of the the supply chain and other things that are going on. So uh-huh. I would say financial. I would say retail Mm -hmm. and insurance Um, and insurance is, you know, floodplain mapping has been a thing for, for many years. Right. But Mm -hmm. think about all of the insurances and them using, you know, in the actuarial scientists that are using that type of information to start doing predictive modeling, they can get a lot of information out of satellite, satellite imagery, or they can get a lot of information out of, you know, movement data of people and understanding what's going on mm-hmm. and, and meshing all that together to to create some models about what the, the predictability of things happening are. So I, I would say, you know, if I were to make a bet, you know, I definitely, we have core competencies here and that's going to continue to grow. But if, yeah. you know, if I was investors and looking at things, mm-hmm. those are three segments that are, are pretty ripe um, and just figuring out the right use case where geospatial fits in is, is pretty interesting. Sure. And so then with with respect to financial applications, I mean, you're sort of talking about um, investors maybe using using a, a geospatial intel on a decision whether they're, you know, are we going to short this retailer? Because it looks like, you know, their traffic numbers are, are, are looking pretty lame (laughs) heading into the quarter is that so is it like a hedge fund is going to invest in some sort of geospatial technology when they decide whether they're going to go long or short uh, a group of retailers is that yes is that the case they've been doing it somewhat i I would say you know you look at companies like orbital insights uh, Uh and others that have been um, providing and actually their large customers were hedge funds yeah they would take satellite imagery and they would count cars and parking lots on specific days of the year. How did Black mm-hmm. Friday perform at Walmart in this specific location than it did the year before, than the year right. before that? Uh-huh. The challenge now is, as we're all sitting here from our homes and doing sure. online shopping, what does that really look like? So there's other means, though, to look at what that's looking like um, that we can kind of track using geospatial technologies outside of just using, you know, transactional, you know, point of sale sorts of things. So, uh-huh. um and also think about the other converse side of things, analyzing mm-hmm. packages and deliveries of, to, uh, of those goods. Okay, um, yeah. You know, so supply chain is, is the supply chain, the movement, and the logistics around that is definitely something that's very, uh, very heavy with regards to the use of location technologies. Um, even more so, I think now, you know, we're all sitting here waiting for the, the COVID vaccine, right? Can you imagine yeah. the amount of geospatial logistics processing they have to do? Because it's not mm-hmm. just a matter of, where where does everybody need to get this? But look mm-hmm. at the distribution centers. Look at where where are there freezers that can be negative eighty degrees? That's right. Where are those sorts of things? And you start figuring out how to get certain things to certain places. So mm-hmm. anyway, I I can nerd out on this for forever. No, but please I, definitely <laughs> be my guest. You are my guest. Think about that yeah. when you look at investors or other things like yeah. knowing what's going on in the world, knowing where things are at, and then really ground truthing that. Uh-huh. Um, that's where location technologies can really help out. Wow. Okay. So when you mentioned the growth that's anticipated over the next five to 10 years, when I think about technologies, emerging technologies or transformational technologies over the next five to 10 years, I think 5G. It's like, that's the, right? That's the catch-all phrase. 5G is happening over the next five to 10 years. So what does 5G mean for geospatial technology? Does it gain, does it gain firepower? Does it become more widespread? What, what happens to geospatial in the 5G era? Well, I think you take a vision of really what does a smart, a real smart city look like, right? right. Where, where citizens and are able to 
immersively interact with their community. Mm-hmm. And that's everything kind of talking to one another. There's right. sensors that talk to what whatever's going on. And so when you think about that, um, yeah. the amount of, of uh demand on that network is vitally important. So I don't think we, you really and truly can be a, and I'm not an expert at 5G, but from mm-hmm. what I'm seeing is you can't really be a, a true smart city without having that level of, granted Google Fiber and other things that have been planted in some of these cities has been great, right. mm-hmm. but still the load that's going to be on there is 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 heavy and having a 5G network to help support that is absolutely key. Mm-hmm. I will say though, it's interesting when you start thinking about autonomy. And when you start thinking about processing, Um, so self-driving vehicles, Mm -hmm. they're going to happen in in the sense of they're going to be a normal mode of of, uh, transportation, maybe to the point where we're not actually, we're not car owners anymore. We're we're leasing spots and vehicles that are already moving and they're figuring out locations from point A to point B, moving Mm -hmm. around the city, especially in the heavy metropolitan areas. The way that they're, they're not using, you know, I have Google Maps open, you have Google Maps open, you guys are both you know, projecting out where your location is and where your directions are going, right? They're, mm-hmm. they're not doing that. They're actually using sensors on board, right? Mm-hmm. They're using something that we've been using for many years in the geospatial industry called LIDAR. Mm-hmm. And so oh, that, yeah. that, that technology <laughs> has been absolutely fundamental at a micro scale to say, there's a curb over here, there's right. you know an intersection coming up over here, and it meshed with photograph or or image detection on yes that is a person or yes that is a sign Uh all that information is being processed on board the vehicle Mm -hmm. and what we can imagine is that's not sustainable is that that actually needs to be processed in a heavier infrastructure in the cloud well guess what that's going to have to go through it's going to have to go through that 5g network and so if Uh you can imagine lots of vehicles and lots of people communicating through those channels it's 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 imperative that we have something like that Mm-hmm. So does in, does innovation in this space depend on having a certain saturation of broadband coverage? And do you, have you found that that's an issue in the maybe not in metropolitan St. Louis, but in surrounding areas where maybe ag tech needs the application or long haul transportation logistics? A- absolutely. Um, you, you know, the one a different use case, but I, I will go back to ag in a second. But a different mm-hmm. use case is think about home health care workers. Sure. And distributing, um, you know, uh, you know, healthcare institutions are trying to get people out to certain areas. And, right. and speaking for knowing some of them in my family, yeah. um, you, you can't, like, you don't have the coverage to be able to not only do your job and check in on certain things, but even mm-hmm. able to navigate to there. Right. Um, likewise, if you're in those rural communities and having access to that, um, to be able to not only in the agriculture sense, right, um, they have to set up, you know, local area networks to be able to, um, you know, paint where they're going within, if they're harvesting or if they're planting mm-hmm. or whatever those those functions are, they have to set up something local because they don't have the the, the cell connectivity to actually just right. push up to a cloud to get to get all that running or be on the John Deere network or whatever those things are. Mm-hmm. We take that for granted being in, in big urban areas. And so mm-hmm. something that, um, you know, that, that needs to be done is, again, looking at the work that the broadband initiative showed, especially right. in some of those communities. In Microsoft, is that, you were talking about the Microsoft broadband initiative specifically? The, the one, well, it, it maybe, um, oh, okay. and the one that was done through um, rural develop, USDA yeah. and rural development right. and some yeah, other yeah. things that were going on there is there's a lot of capabilities that were pushed out that way to mm-hmm. get certain communities. I mean, they were getting, you know, way better internet than I get here in my urban area <laughs> it, 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 and yeah. pushed directly to them out in the remote areas. Mm-hmm. I think more 
looks at investments in those areas will help enable those, you know, especially in the ag sector or the health mm-hmm. sector, be able to take advantage of that. Excellent. So when you mentioned, uh, you know, the, the broadband initiative and the role, the sort of unlikely role that the that the U.S. Department of Agriculture has played in becoming a broadband uh, infrastructure investor. So how do public-private partnerships work in geospatial? Do startups apply for, are they defense subcontractors? How do the relationships work? Yeah. So, I, you know, speaking from my experience somewhat at, uh, as a, you know, being the CEO of a, mm-hmm. a commercial software company, you know, there is one way that you can work with these large organizations, right, and, and uh, government organizations, and you can formally respond to RFPs. You can go through that mm-hmm. whole process to find what their needs are. It's a heavy investment by mm-hmm. companies, especially small companies in that area. What you're starting to see more, though, is they're trying to figure out different ways to engage to, to because they realize, to some extent, in my personal opinion, is they realize that some small companies that have very interesting or exquisite capabilities mm-hmm. are not going to go through that, that cumbersome process to to work with the government because it is a lot of overhead. Yeah. So they're looking at, you know, for example, here in St. Louis, um, the Missouri Technology Corporation partnered up with the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency mm-hmm. where they were actually able to direct funding Mm-hmm. To, for an accelerator to be started and wow. looking at eight cohorts and being able to really direct that. And so now companies that traditionally would not invest in and in, in have that overhead to work with the government mm-hmm. are able to directly work with um, NGA and some of their mission sets through this accelerator opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, so, that, you know, that's one thing. And then I think there's going to be more opportunities as you look at some of the grant opportunities, some of the, whether it be EDA, whether it be NIH, whether it be other ones that are out there that we're, you know, folks in the community around geospatial are working on, mm-hmm. those opportunities are there. And I think that we've got to take a hard look at those opportunities as we start pushing that ecosystem approach here in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. So when you're developing technologies that have potentially some kind of a defense or intelligence application, it's, you know, it's not always the case that these are homebrew startups while you're in, the, in your garage, et cetera. There's, there's sometimes a, a, a spatial requirement called skiff space. Can you explain to our listeners what skiff space is, how it is developed, and is this a mission-critical real estate investment? Yeah, so it's a good question. Um, so having what's known as a, a skiff um, mm-hmm. is more—it's more of a secured compartment, and, and okay. to be able to work on classified, you know, data sets that are important to our national security, right? Or to do classified operations. And mm-hmm. so, um, while I will say in that you know NGA has gone on the record is that they've, while they're part of their being more open in the area, they're doing trying to do things more unclassified to allow for those partnerships, to allow mm-hmm. for those natural intersections. Right. There's still a classified mission that they have to end up supporting. Yeah. Um, and so you you do see, so what is involved in a SCIF mm-hmm. is, um, you know, if you're outside of a government facility, it, it does take a lot of investment by an organization to set up a, you know, three layers of drywall and tin right. foil and man bars in the in the HVAC units and all these crazy things, right, that you right. would never, you know, have in a normal office space. It, it requires a heavy upfront investment. Right. But the ability to interact and work in or deploy solutions or data or other things into a into the mission space. Yeah. Realize the mission does happen on top secret networks. And so they've got to be able to help support those things. So that's why SCIF space is important right. is that you can help deliver those things directly to the mission. Uh-huh. And I will say that there are some creative solutions that are out there where maybe a firm that is smaller that doesn't want to invest in a 
a heavy real estate investment to build up those walls and have all those things. Mm-hmm. There are other organizations out there that lease SCIF space sure. um, to help make that happen. And so you do see that out in D.C. Um, mm-hmm. And there's interest now in St. Louis and they're, they're setting up those types of things as well. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Because as, as you're describing what is involved in setting up a SCIF space, it sounds like, oh, this is, you know, this is like a data center. This is like a cell tower or something. You know, exactly. I can't believe Blackstone has got to have a SCIF stone. <laughs> That's yep. going to be a high conviction long next year. Trust me. Like Blackstone yeah. is getting into SCIF. No, I don't. I have no intel on that. I'm just I'm purely speculating. But I, it sounds like a private equity real estate trade to me. And I wonder if that. <laughs> Does it fit that? Does it fit those those criteria? Yeah, I, I think you know those types. Uh, you know, the the, the opportunity mm-hmm. to uh, knowing that there's many barriers um, yeah. to working. You know, especially working in what they call the intel space or the d- defense space. Mm-hmm. Uh, even actually in the energy space, you yeah, know, there sure. are some classified things there, um, mm-hmm. and so those are things that you know they need solutions they need technologies and so that's just it's it's some overhead mm-hmm. if you can creatively figure out how to either partner or work or do that it's definitely a something that we're seeing a bigger demand in mm-hmm. in st louis by organizations on setting up more of that type of space just because they know that they're gonna have to what nga's mission is but also mm-hmm. what the other government organizations are around here and and seeing how they can help support other missions as well Mm-hmm. So speaking of the physical infrastructure that's on the ground to support uh, geospatial uh, intelligence applications, what about the advent of things like a, a ground station as a service for a satellite hookup? I mean, I know that uh, Amazon has invested heavily in that uh, in that type of infrastructure in recent uh, months and years, probably. Uh, Microsoft as well. Are those technologies part of the geospatial investment mix? Absolutely. Um, I'm not going to speak on behalf that I'm an expert in ground stations um, okay. other than being a consumer of getting that information from we you know, a satellite yes. <laughs> you know, information down yeah. to the earth and then pushing it out. But mm-hmm. if you can imagine um, the way that, and, and again, my very crude understanding of how this works, right, is that satellites are collecting information, but to get that information down to earth for us to be able to see that, it's not, it's not instantaneous, right? And so they have to be able to communicate with something on the ground. Well, if you can imagine um, commoditizing that or, or demo- sorry, democratizing that uh-huh. then to commoditizing it, yes. at some levels, you know, that usually these satellite companies had to set up their own ground stations all over the world to say, hey, the satellite's passing over the specific area, talk to it, mm-hmm. downlink the data, then actually be able to use it. Now that you know organizations like Amazon, Microsoft, others are starting to invest in that and saying, hey, we, we can set these up anywhere across the globe, mm-hmm. that allows for the real-time data streaming down. And so beyond just the geospatial use cases of taking pictures of the earth or looking at where different sensors are happening, start thinking about this this mesh that Elon Musk and others are starting to put together of not of of internet that's being pushed to and from and coming out of those satellites that are constantly in orbit. Mm-hmm. This is a pretty cool opportunity for us to better and more streamline communicate with those satellites that are being launched daily, hourly, um, with with different capabilities for us to take advantage of. Absolutely. So is there a specific company case study that you can mention as a type of firm or, you know, a a success story that's attracting interest from outside investors? Yeah. So I I think one uh, story is, you know, my former company, 
we were a, a, I would say a smaller, you know, series B, you know, mm-hmm. round company. Um, we, you know, we exited to planet labs, which was, you know, I would say a later stage startup mm-hmm. out of, out of the Bay area. Um, and, and really they saw, you know, what our company had was some federal contracts and programs and those sorts of things. But mm-hmm. likewise, geodata it was just, um, just underwent an, an acquisition as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and with, with their acquisition, you know, it was, seeing St. Louis as a center of excellence, not only yeah. beyond, you know, what the government contracts that they had, but also seeing the ability and the talent and everything else that's going on there. So we're starting to see, um, mm-hmm. you know, that, that folks are starting to take interest. What we have to do is cultivate more opportunities for early stage startups to be here. Mm-hmm. And that's, that goes into the investment and in, in what, you know, opportunities are out there already that coming out of these people that might have a good idea or research yeah. opportunity that turns into a commercialization of, an, uh, of a company. Mm-hmm. So when you talk about idea to commercialization or, you know, seed stage to exit, what is the typical time frame for commercializing a geospatial company? Because sometimes these R&D heavy enterprises, I mean, they take time and you know, some some funds have that have the time to stay invested and others others don't. What what are we talking about with the with geospatial in terms of time? Ah, that's, a, that's a good question. Um, if you look at the market in this segment, you know, a lot of the folks, you know, if it's if it's Mapbox, if it's Planet, if it's others that are VC backed larger companies, again, they're mm-hmm. still around and, and they, their initial investment was made, you know, ten years ago plus. Mm-hmm. Um, so. I would say that, if, especially if you're in the technology side of things, acquisitions mm-hmm. have happened quicker. Mm-hmm. If you're in the hardware somewhat component of it, you're, you're exactly right. It takes a little bit longer for that mm-hmm. to, to play out. And really what we've seen is developing the, the analytics around sure. the hardware mm-hmm. is, you know, the, the, the organizations that have done that mm-hmm. um, are definitely far more valuable. And so we have some great hardware companies that are out there that are starting to push some analytics or, you know, mm-hmm. you know, drive products out of there. But it's not, we're not just delivering a, a pixel of a piece of the earth, but we're actually telling you what's going on there and why it's important to you. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, it, it just depends on what type of company it is. Um, and some have been short, but those are mainly, you know, software or tech approach versus the hardware side of things. Mm-hmm. So when VCs are, you know, say sniffing around or kicking the tires on a geospatial startup, what are they typically looking for in the investment case? Is it a portfolio of patents? Is it a key client contract? You know, is it, it again, that's similar to what we, when we were talking about skiff space, a high barrier to entry. Uh, what is it that is the, what's the selling point for a geospatial startup that is attracting VC capital? Well, I, I to attract VC capital, right, yeah. is the, the ability to, to take on a bigger market share. And what is the business model around that? I think yeah. when you get tied to specific contracts, that's, that's the risk, right? Is if you mm-hmm. have a large, one large contract, then obviously that presents and poses a risk to you. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what we've seen here and where investments have been made. So if you look at Arch Grants, which is a, um, they, they awarded five fifty thousand dollars grants to early stage startups that wanted to do business in St. Louis. They ordered, awarded, sorry, five two specifically geospatial tech companies. Actually, mm-hmm. six. The cool part about that was they they weren't traditionally doing business with NGA. They were using mm-hmm. it for commercial purposes. Um, they were using it for public safety reasons. They were like, and so it, it's really the story of how to get to more users mm-hmm. and how, how much is that technology or that piece of hardware on the critical path to, to 
adding value to whatever that that organization is that you're using. So I think it's really about what is the value proposition, mm-hmm. what's the product strategy that you're developing, mm-hmm. more than it is. And then you know some of the VCs here it just depends on their thesis. Some of them are revenue focused. Um, uh-huh. Some of them are a little bit more risk averse and saying, hey, I think there's something here, but you don't have to be rev- you don't have to have you know positive EBITDA or whatever it mm-hmm. is. But what we're seeing here that the, where the investment is getting played out is is really what is that that story and how is it not just hey this supports just NGA it's how does it support everybody or how are you working into other different sectors whether mm-hmm. it be artificial intelligence or it's autonomy or it's other things like that yeah can you talk about the size of the funds that are looking at St Louis geospatial firms I mean are we is there a SoftBank firm that's gonna <laughs> roll into town with the uh, and pull out the checkbook for some of these uh, some of these startups? Or have have the fund size have the funds gotten bigger? Have they become more specialized? Are you seeing foreign interest? Talk a little about where the where the uh, interest is coming from, if you can. Um, so I, I would say just in general, um, mm-hmm. there has been outside investment being made. One of the things that the GeoFutures report did expose is that most of our companies that were here in St. Louis would have to go elsewhere for Series C and beyond um, mm-hmm. investment. So the later stage growth capital um, was not here natively, mm-hmm. but likewise, so that's, you know, that was a, a good thing is that people from the outside are investing in St. Louis companies, sure. but also mm-hmm. there was a pull to the Bay Area. There's a pull to the East Coast for those companies. You're starting to see um, organizations like Cultivation Capital, which is the largest VC in Missouri, mm-hmm. that you know they have very specific funds around some of the thesis of what we have here in St. Louis. So mm-hmm. they've got ag tech funds, they've got general technology funds. They're you know potentially looking to set up a geospatial tech fund. And so wow. the check mm-hmm. sizes are you know that's you know seed to Series A types of you know that's where they they work. But we also have Lewis and Clark Ventures that is here Absolutely. locally, and we have yep. others. But we'd welcome. Uh, you know, if SoftBank wants to, you know, uh, <laughs> stroke a check for all, really large checks to organizations here in St. Louis, we welcome that. And, we, mm-hmm. you know, it, in general, I think that's going to help yeah. continue to drive and, and percolate those those startups that are here in St. Louis. Now, it's interesting just to kind of roll into my final question, which is what happens when a major investor like a SoftBank or, you know, someone who's very well capitalized comes into a community and starts investing? Let's talk about St. Louis's plans for inclusive and equitable growth and making sure that the community participates in the growth of geospatial technologies and that we don't that you don't experience what's known at you know what you might call a quantum gentrification <laughs> I mean how do you how do you achieve this I mean it's one thing to say we want everyone in in St. Louis to benefit from the geospatial industry it's another thing when you know a major private equity or venture capital firm comes in and starts writing checks and the and the prices go up on on everything and people can't afford to live there yeah, so Rebecca, I, the first thing I would like to point out here yeah. is one, like, what does St. Louis currently have, or why is it even uh, attractive? And I, to one, especially for earlier stage startups, yep. the affordability of St. Louis is absolutely, you know, tremendous. I was right. just uh-huh. got off the phone from, uh, you know, a group that was out in the in the Bay Area, and granted, even now more than ever, when you're sitting in your really expensive home in the Bay yeah. Area that might be a two bedroom <laughs> flat, yeah, that, that you can buy a like a like a farm. <laughs> for that for that amount of money here in the Midwest, yeah. right? And, and so when you start thinking about, hey, I need to hire ten new data scientists, or I need to hire these right. developers, the 
the pay is equally there, right? Like, I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's more affordable to have that labor here in the, in the area. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing the universities and other organizations help match that and help, help make sure that we have enough talent here to yeah. make St. Louis attractive. So that's mm-hmm. the affordability of St. Louis, along with all the other great amenities that we do have. It's a great mm-hmm. place to raise a family. It's, yeah. you know, there's lots of things that are here that are, that are beneficial. Going back to the racial equity and inclusion side of things, like mm-hmm. we could, you know, you can grow a city and you can grow it the the wrong way, um, mm-hmm. and you can take into account and allow for gentrification to happen, mm-hmm. or you can, you know, and have this massive growth downtown. Leaders here in St. Louis, um, and especially with the history, you know, going back hundreds of years here in St. Louis, it, you know, the the, the the challenges that we've had in mm-hmm. uh, dealing with some of the racial tensions has been directly attributed to not taking into account and working in and with the community as good community members. And so we've got to lift back up um, many of, you know, and work with the, the neighborhoods and communities. And this got really brought full front attention because the neighborhood that NGA is moving into mm-hmm. has been is an example of um, what happens when you when you don't pay attention to that for many many years and mm-hmm. and so what is happening though is there's inclusive growth strategies with the city Geo Futures mm-hmm. has uh, that was front and center as far as Geo Futures report there's a city economic development plan that has an inclusive growth strategy there's a regional plan that just got highlighted out there that's uh, the the 2030 plan. And it all takes account into providing and looking and working with opportunities to help create, you know, not only equal opportunities for everyone, but really focusing in on certain areas and making sure that the the resources are there to be able to grow inclusively. Because the worst thing that could happen is NGA moves and there's a beautiful headquarters. Mm -hmm. And then the citizens and the, the community members who allowed for and say, right. hey, NGA, you can come here. They can't work there. They can't afford to live there. Right. And they have to move somewhere else. That That's what failure looks like. And we've mm-hmm. got a lot of folks here and a lot of plans here to make sure that that doesn't happen. Yeah. Well, one of the, uh, you know, one of the few, you know, maybe constructive upsides of this, of, of all the, co- the the turmoil around COVID-19 is that people have talked about this period of time as the, as an opportunity for a, a great reset, if you want to call it that, or a, a redo or a do-over. And maybe, you know, St. Louis and the and the geospatial industry can show a constructive reset of how to do tech-focused VC capital in a better way before, you know, the horse is out of the barn, so to speak, and the prices are, you know, there's runaway, you know, real estate price inflation, et cetera, and that, you know, that, that leaves a lot of people uh, out of, you know, out of prosperity. So, Absolutely. You've got that Excellent. right. Excellent. Well, Andy Deering, so this is, I'm going to be keeping my eyes open for these <laughs> St. Louis uh, geospatial uh, unicorns that I'm sure are right around the corner. I'm excited. I'm rooting for the city and for this exciting technology. And thank you so much for sharing your expertise with Investable Universe today. Yeah, thank you for having me on. That's all we got for Investable Universe this week. If you liked what you heard, share the link, check out the site at investableuniverse.com or pitch us for future episodes. The address is editor at investableuniverse.com. My name is Rebecca Darst and you'll hear more from me next time.